This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Delivery is for the 2020-21 marketing year. The USDA's June supply and demand report is providing little direction for the most part with few major changes to its data from May. That could change with the department's stock report coming out at the end of the month. Rounding off prices at the Chicago Board of Trade, soybean futures are higher Friday morning. The July soybean contract is up six cents at eight seventy-two per bushel. July soy oil is up almost two tenths of a cent at twenty-seven point six eight U.S. cents per pound. July soy meal is up two dollars twenty cents at two ninety-one ninety per hundredweight. Corn futures are higher Friday morning, with the July contract up two cents at three thirty-two per bushel. Chicago oats are lower, with the July contract down three at three sixteen per bushel. Wheat futures are higher Friday morning. Chicago July is up a half cent at five dollars. Kansas City July is up four and a half at four fifty-one and a half, and Minneapolis July is up three at five sixteen and a half. That's a look at the ice futures and the Chicago markets for Friday morning, June 12th. For Markets Farm in Winnipeg, I'm Glenn Halleck. Spring is here and the drive is on for savings. Get up and running today during New Holland's Spring Drive sales event from Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John. Find great deals and special savings featuring 0% financing and cashback offers on New Holland tractors from compacts to high horsepower models and everything in between. Save on select New Holland hay tools too. Call Butler Farm Equipment at 250-785-1800 today because just like spring, Spring Drive savings won't last long. The opinions expressed during this show do not represent those of this station. If you've missed any of this show, you can follow the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Moose Talks. A little later on, we're going to be chatting with Lori Ackerman. Lots to talk about with uh, different Canada, uh, Canada Day celebrations here in Fort St. John, the RCMP detachment, uh, the new buildings breaking ground today, as well as we're going to touch on non-profit tax, permissive tax exemptions as well. So that coming up in just a bit. To start, though, we're going to talk a bit about guide outfitting in BC and how COVID-19 has infected that industry, which is a big industry up here in the piece. And to do so, we're going to go to Burnaby, uh, not Burnaby, Surrey, to talk to Scott Ellis of the Guide Outfitters Association of BC. Good morning, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Doug. Glad to be on the moose. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we start a bit, uh, for people who don't know, what, what exactly is Guide Outfitting? And uh, what do you, as the association, or as part of the association, what do you guys do? Uh, yes, yeah, you bet. Thank you. So I'm the executive director of the association. So we're a nonprofit society and we uh, advocate for wildlife and we advocate for the outfitting community. And um, uh, outfitting really started in uh, Telegraph Creek uh, with the Taltan First Nations and uh, continues to grow from, you know, those days in the mid 1800s to today. Um and uh, outfitting is a, is a, is a big deal uh, in the piece and throughout the province. 
And what is an outfitter? Well, basically, we have the rights to guide non-residents for uh, big game. And uh, many of our folks also do uh, uh, freshwater angling as well. I see. Is uh, You talk about non-residents. Is this something that uh, residents will sometimes choose to do as well, like use a guide outfitter, or is it really kind of a, a non-resident thing? Well, um, uh, we're blessed in this province that uh, most residents can get a hunting license and mm-hmm. buy a tag, uh, most of them over the counter, especially in the piece, uh, and get the opportunity to you know go play in your own backyard. So that's pretty cool. If you choose, um, for example, to go out for a stone sheep and you're having some challenges and you want to use an outfitter to help you close a deal, um, you know, that's where we come in. So about 93% of our clientele are international. And then so that balance at 7% is either residents that choose to use a guide um, or from other Canadians. I see. So what's before we kind of talk about the industry this year, why don't we give kind of a, a medium of comparison here? What does a normal year look like for guide outfitting in BC? You know, jobs, money, kind of uh, revenue, uh, how many licenses are sold, that sort of thing. What does a normal year generally look like in terms of that? Yeah, you bet. So uh, this year's not normal. So <laughs> I'm not sure what the new normal means. But uh, last year, for example, about 4,500 non-resident clients come to the province of British Columbia to hunt big game. Wow. Um, we have about 245 outfitting uh, businesses in the province, typically smaller uh, family-run businesses, uh, you know, three to five employees typically. Uh, in the piece, uh, some of them are bigger, bigger because of um, you know horses and stuff. Like so, you have uh, more guides, more wranglers, more cooks. But uh, generally, on average, we're you know three to five uh, people. Um, so, in the province of BC, twenty five hundred jobs and about uh, one point, uh, pardon me, one hundred and ninety one million in uh, GDP for the province. Wow, so it's big business. Uh, you said forty five hundred. Uh... You know, you, you help 4,500 people essentially come hunting in BC. Where are they coming from? Is it like Alaska? Is it way south kind of in the southern United States? Is it all over or is there a majority from one place where they're coming from? Uh, no, it's really spread throughout. Um, so, you know, Germans, um, Scandinavians uh, like coming to uh, British Columbia. Um, and depending on who you are as an outfitter, some target more European than, uh, than American, um, mm. you know, Mexico for a, for a place is starting to grow, but really the lion's share come out of the United States. And then, you know, it depends on the state, right? And so Pennsylvania and Texas tend to have, uh, you know, more of a, you know, hunting culture and, and more of a traveling uh, hunter. And, and those are the, those are the folks that you know, dream about coming to BC to see supernatural British Columbia to see what we have to offer. Does that number include Canadians who are not from BC, or is that sort of a separate uh, thing? They they can go hunting on their own if they like in BC. Yeah, so the forty five hundred number is the number of guided clients, right? Yeah. So uh, again, if you're a non resident and you want to hunt big game, then you need to use an outfitter. Oh yeah, yeah. And so it would potentially include Canadians. Uh, is that do you know how many that would include then? So um, I don't have a calculator in front of me, yeah, but you know, sure. you get 90, 
93 percent uh american of 4500 so you know by and large you know you got a couple hundred canadians i would say i see okay so it's a very small part of the business essentially okay then given those numbers i mean how are things looking so far this year given we've been kind of in uh social distancing physical distancing pandemic mode since the end of march uh you know Maybe not a lot has happened yet in terms of hunting season so far, but how are things looking so far, given that there's kind of been COVID-19 that's maybe made it much more difficult for uh, guide outfitters to operate? No, uh, you know, so very difficult to be quite honest, right? Yeah. And so with that high percentage that um, our international clients, we really... Uh, are in a tough place in the spring season isn't that big in the piece uh on the coast and you know around prince george and in other places you know we do have a spring season um that happens to be actually the the number one tag for say per se so that's black bears so 2200 black bear clients did not come to the province this year so uh that's uh that's a big blow that's you know 45 percent and uh, for the piece specifically, you know, we, you know, we get started in, um, in August for sheep mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we really need uh, a planned gradual reopening or some kind of pilot where low risk uh, clients could come across, uh, no impact to communities um, and uh, be able to self quarantine while they're hunting or fishing or doing what they want to do in the backcountry. So, you know, we, we think we can deliver that model. We, we've put uh, best practices forward, uh, you know, to, to the government, but, you know, it's safety first, right? And so uh, we want to make sure that um, at least when we're thinking about a gradual reopening that maybe, you know, not only us, but there's others that, you know, would be able to meet those kind of self-quarantine uh, rules, um, and do it safely. Uh, we think we're in that first group that might be tested or might be a pilot for that. Absolutely. I mean, especially since it's all outdoors, you'd think it'd be far easier for your industry to practice social distancing measures and, and that sort of thing. So the biggest hindrance to this then, you would say, I mean, it's the borders. The border has to be open so that you can invite clients from the United States, from Scandinavia, Germany, as you said, who are the biggest chunk of uh, clients using guide outfitters in bc yeah i and you know we don't want them wide open um you know i i think that would be a little bit reckless right now you know i think that everyone can see the numbers in the different places but mm -hmm. um sooner or later i think there needs to be a a plan um and you know we think that you know that our group is in that um, in that first cohort or that first group that could be tested, could, could help the provincial health officer, could help uh, the federal government in designing um, the, the right kind of protocols, the, the right kind of environment where they're, you know, by, by design, you know, you're hunting in isolation anyways, mm -hmm. right? We're not, we're not like an NHL hockey team that's going to overtake a hotel and, and have 50 people together. That, that That's not our model, right? We're, you know, horseback in the mountains um you know uh, unless there's covid transmission between the sheep and the hunter yeah I, I think we can do that pretty safely and health and safety is what we do with our with our clients anyways all the time right we 
uh, we're in the mountains. We're, um, we're, we're making sure that it's a, a quality experience and, and COVID, you know, it's, 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 it's new, right? It's a pandemic and a lot of people are worried about it and, and, and rightly so. Uh, but we deal with this kind of stuff, health and safety of our clients uh, and deliver a, a great expedition. That's, that's what we do. It's what we deliver and we do it all the time. And um, we think that, you know, we're one of the groups that um, could do it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the buzzwords gets thrown around a lot to describe the pandemic and the times we live in as unprecedented. Uh, we've had tough seasons uh, in BC recently, right? There was a horrible record-breaking fire season just a few years ago. Did that uh, have any impact on guide outfitting? Like, Has the industry seen sort of bad years because of natural kind of phenomenon like this before and is this just that times you know uh tenfold or is that is stuff like that had an impact before in the way that this is yeah there has been if you think about the economic crash in 2008 mm-hmm. you think about the the wildfires in 2017 and 2018 um and you know, in those particular places, right? Telegraph Creek got hit really hard. Uh, some areas out, you know, in Dees Lake, um, depending on which year you had the elephant fire, you had fires in the Chilcot and you had fires in the, in the Kootenays. Um, but by and large, uh, outfitters are pretty entrepreneurial. Um, mm. They know their way around that country. And Typically, the guide areas are big enough that you can work through those polygons or those closures or, or whatever around those fires. And most of them were earlier in the season. So while it did affect some, um, really, there's been nothing uh, in the 100-plus years that this industry has been around that's been anything like this uh, that really has had this, you know, an impact to this magnitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were uh, talking right before this interview, you had mentioned there's kind of a pilot program that you guys are, are working on that I, I, I assume you're hoping to work with uh, with the government on. Why don't you tell us a bit about about that and what that looks like? Yeah, and so some people think the borders are closed today, and 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 they it's only essential sir uh, essential service, so goods uh, go back and forth. But so do temporary foreign workers. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we have people coming in um, from New Zealand, for example, to beat the, the self-quarantine for 14 days, and then they can go to work. Uh, and they can go anywhere. Um, that's not what we're proposing. We're proposing uh, that there's a couple different options in what our uh, pilot might look like. And so um, part of it would be, you know, self-quarantine on a mountaintop, in a cabin, you know, on a lake, on a river, whatever that would look like. Mm-hmm. That We think that we could deliver a safe self-quarantine model, um, you know, and, and have that happen simultaneously while they're doing their activity. Um, you know, we've, we've looked at other, other jurisdictions and other, other models. Um, you know, we watch Iceland really close. Uh, so on Monday, Iceland's moving to uh, having a, a test for COVID within four days, mm-hmm. uh, pay for a test at the border, 290 euros, uh, or self-quarantine. And so, you know, I'm not an expert on testing, but I, I understand that it's getting less expensive and more effective. Um, a lot of uh, Americans, if they so choose, they can go and get tested. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who has been tested twice. Um, you know, those 
type of um, tests you ha haven't really been available to that extent uh, here in BC or in Canada. And I think that um, I know that there's some risks around or, you know, some false positives or false negatives, however you, you look at that. But, you know, I think that in the end of the day, we want to make sure that if we self-isolate, that's, you know, that's better. If it's a test, that's better. If we do all the steps that the provincial health officer wants, then those are uh, are things that uh, really will help our lo local rural communities. So the people in the peace, the people in Fort St. John, but also smaller communities, whether that be Hudson Hope or 101, right? They are comfortable that we have people coming in that will be safe. And then our First Nations friends that either are, you know, working in this industry or uh, potentially um, are more susceptible to uh, something like uh, COVID-19 are uh, comfortable that all the precautions are in place and there really is uh, no risk to them. Absolutely. All right, Mike, we'll have to leave it there for now, but thank you for taking some time to talk to us today about uh, this uh, big industry in BC and in the peace. Thank you and uh, have a great day and uh, take care. Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back on Moose Talks with more after this. We're bringing you back to the good old days with Movie in a Parking Lot, presented by Fort St. John Co-op, Napit Industries, and V.E. Brandle, June 26th and 27th at the North Peace Arena Parking Lot. We'll be featuring Deadpool on June 26th, the Lego Movie on June 27th. Thanks to the city of Fort St. John, we have added two more dates, June 30th and July 1st. We'll be featuring The Mask on June 30th and Dr. Seuss's Horton Hears a Who on July 1st. Tickets are free, but you must reserve your ticket at energetictickets.ca. You only need one ticket per vehicle. Moving in a Parking Lot is presented by Fort St. John Co-op, Napit Industries, and V.E. Brandle, and sponsored in part by Burger King, Home Hardware, Calmar Construction Limited, Backcountry, and Windsor Plywood. Over the past two decades, Arctech Welding and Machining has evolved from welding and machining to Northern BC's go-to for custom steel and fabrication services, no matter the project, big or small. We offer structural steel fabrication with our 8-axis Vortman beamline, a computerized plasma torch, accommodating plates up to 8 by 24 feet. Our fleet of portable welding trucks come to you. Plus, we offer repairs, sandblasting, painting, and more. Check out our latest projects and start planning yours at arctech-welding.com. I know lots of kids say their grandmas make the best homemade food, but my grandma is so good she has her own kitchen. Mary Jane's Kitchen and Catering. She makes everything herself, and it's so good, especially her spaghetti and lasagna. She even makes sandwiches for a bunch of places. I can't remember them all, though. I'm only nine. Find Mary Jane's delicious sandwiches at Petro Canada Truck Stop, Chevron, Kelly's Convenience Store, Husky, and V&M by the high school. Mary Jane's Kitchen and Catering, also on Facebook. Now in its second generation of energetic and skilled tradesmen, Farrell Construction has over 30 years of experience in the Peace Region as a well-established custom home builder and general contractor. Known for their amazing customer service, the Farrell Construction family looks forward to helping your family with your next home project. Farrell Construction, locally owned and family run in Fort St. John. To learn more about the services they offer, visit farrellconstruction.ca. Watch this show live on Facebook or download the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Welcome back to Moose Talks. I'm joined now by the mayor of Fort St. John, Lori Ackerman. How's it going today, Lori? Good, good. How are you? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you for making some time to talk to us today. I know it's a busy day for you. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about, but I thought we'd start with this. Uh, obviously, Council and the city's been looking at alternative plans for Canada Day basically since the pandemic started because there were so many unknowns. How long would it take? What What's the world going to look like? Will people be able to gather? Uh, and uh, so you've had to make changes to Canada Day, including with the parade. When did it become clear that a normal parade wouldn't be feasible given the climate of social uh, distancing and uh, kind of public health restrictions that are still on us? Well, I think the actual reality um, was back in um, March, April, when uh, when the restrictions on gatherings were, were put in place. Um, and honestly, we have had to make arrangements for literally everything that we are doing. And I know that everyone in the community is right along with us, uh, whoever they work for, whatever kind of activities they enjoy, they have all been tempered by the public health officer's orders. And to be honest, that's why British Columbia is doing as well as it is, is because of those orders that were put in place. Absolutely. Now we're going to get to what you're doing in lieu of the normal parade in a moment, but I thought we'd touch on this. Uh, there was a protest last Friday, a peaceful protest, kind of in alignment, sort of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter protests, protests going on throughout the United States still to this day uh, due to the death of George Floyd and sort of uh, systemic racism in the United States and Canada. People have been expressing anger and confusion on social media around town about what seems to be a conflict between we can't have a parade, but the protest went ahead as well. Can you tell us what's the difference between the two and why we can't have a parade, but the protest was sort of allowed to happen without incident? Sure. Okay. So if you were going to ask me, um, the protests are um, allowed. The provincial health officer has made um, some recommendations on how protests are allowed. And the reality is, is if it's a peaceful protest, everyone has that right to protest. And so the city doesn't have any kind of restrictions against peaceful protests. Mm -hmm. uh, we have never um, stepped in and done anything when there has been a peaceful protest. The simple reality is, is that Canada Day has always been driven by the city of Fort St. John. Um, we've had numerous volunteer organizations that have always stepped up to the plate and really helped us put on a fabulous day. And the city is unable to disregard the public health orders and do uh, what we would normally do as much mm -hmm. as we would love to. We just simply cannot. And so our staff have once again pulled out all the stops and did uh, a whole bunch of uh, digging for ideas on what we can do and we are going to be focusing on the whole week right from june 25th to july 1st and um a, a variety of activities okay uh, one of those is a reverse parade which is uh, it sounds like it's just kind of a simple concept but why don't you tell us kind of explain to us what what that is and how that'll be going down on the 27th Sure. So uh, a, a reverse parade is very similar to how the uh, Pride Parade happened mm -hmm. uh, last week. And it is simply uh, the, the parade is driving around the community rather than people going and gathering for, uh, for the parade. So mm -hmm. um, the parade really comes to you instead of you going to the parade. That's, that's li 
you know, a sh short uh, explanation. Yeah, it allows everyone to stay socially distanced because we're not all, not all trying to gather in downtown Fort St. John to watch it, I guess. So a, a way to do it without without breaking the rules, essentially. Yeah, and so there will be a map posted on our recreation page um, mm -hmm. showing what the what the parade route will be. So people will be able to uh, gather and, and appropriately social distance for, for that. Okay. Uh, moving on, Council recently approved a plan that uh, would essentially, as I understand it, begin to roll back tax exemptions for nonprofits, which, uh, again, as I understand, they have to sort of apply for uh, kind of year after year. Can you explain to us why Council is doing that? What was the kind of onus for deciding that it was time to uh, kind of expect local nonprofits to pay their municipal taxes, essentially? Sure. So let me begin by saying that this one policy is uh, part of a suite of policies. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, um, the graphic shows the gears because that's exactly what it is. These policies work together. They are entire financial uh, policy suite. And the permissive tax exemption policy is embedded in this. So you have to remember that there's two different kinds of tax exemptions. One of them is a mandatory tax exemption, according to legislation, where we must provide the sanctuary of the churches um, with a tax exemption. Mm -hmm. The other one is the permissive tax exemption, and that is the one that is uh, the controversy right now. So the council has the authority to either agree to tax exemptions or to not agree to them. And what's happened over the years is our tax exemptions have crept up. So if I was giving you a tax exemption on your property, right, you don't have to pay it. The services for that property don't disappear. Mm -hmm. You still want fire protection. You still want our CMP to show up if there's an issue. You still want the ability to have the water and sewer um, uh, connected to that property. You still want the, the road clearing. You still want, um, you know, the, the um, all, all of the amenities that go along with ensuring that we have a safe and, and uh, livable community. So what happens is your taxes come off of your property and get spread onto everybody else. So what the intent of um, the grants and aids and the permissive taxes exemption was really was to get our nonprofits up and on their feet. It was mm -hmm. to be a three-year program until they were self-sufficient, and then somewhere over that time that seemed to have gotten lost, and it's an expectation now. So we acknowledge and we recognize that we have nonprofit organizations who struggle with the, the cost of doing business here. So... Um, last week, one um, admin report came out and a story was created on that one admin report. What our staff cannot speak to is the community foundation because we have not made decisions on the community foundation. Mm -hmm. So um, while we created this financial framework, it's, um, it's parallel with the community foundation that we have uh, that we've been working on we negotiated non-tax revenue from the site c project for 70 years seven zero years and those um 
over the extent of that 70 years, we will get about $58 million. Mm-hmm. And council has committed to putting that into, and I have to say, a future council could to decide to uh, you know shift gears on that. It's an annual um, contribution. We have uh, chosen to initiate a community foundation with that money. I see. So when the community foundation is operational, those nonprofit organizations will be able to uh, apply to the community foundation for the amount of their taxes, and then they can pay the city. We will fund that community foundation the money that's in our operational budget right now for those and and eventually wean them off of us off of our operational budget i see is the hope then that the foundation will be up and running sort of in time for uh when the kind of exemptions start to kind of roll off i I believe it's starting next year is kind of the first time it's going to be uh are you are you hoping the foundation will be up and running so that those nonprofits can start to apply and maybe not see uh, less revenue, I guess you could sort of put it, uh, kind of a, a hit to their bottom line in a sense. Right. So actually, uh, in 2021, the only thing that uh, the city has, is saying is that we will not pay for 50% of the non-municipal taxes. So if you were mm-hmm. to look at your, let me just grab it here. I've got my tax notice here. So if you were to look at your tax notice, um, and look at the non-municipal part. And so there's um, the regional district taxes are there. So if you live in the city, you pay regional district taxes. Mm-hmm. And if you live outside of the city, the only thing you contribute to might be the um, the pool, but then you would be part owner of the pool and that money goes to the regional district anyways. So there are um, hospital taxes, school taxes, or sorry, not hospital taxes, school taxes, and uh, regional district taxes and um, those nonprofits can go to the regional district to request a tax exemption on that okay that makes sense uh lastly want to get to this quick as well um the groundbreaking on the new rcmp detachment building is today um and notably most of the tenders were awarded to local companies um as i understand it's not council's desire to just award to local companies it there has to be the bids that make sense lowest bids that sort of thing how important though uh, and how good is it do you think that it it worked out that most of the tenders ended up going to local companies and that it'll be local people building this detachment for us um i i just i don't think there's a word in the english language that english language that um really does encompass how we feel about our local contractors mm-hmm. um, being able to to be a part of this. And we have been saying for a long time that um, we are not allowed to just give away these contracts to uh, local companies. There are processes that must be, um, that we must abide by. And so to have our local companies really get engaged at, uh, at, the, at the get-go and, and uh, um, submit qualifying bids is very heartwarming excellent well i'm glad to hear it all right uh mayor ackerman thank you so much for doing this today and taking some time to talk to us thanks you have a great weekend you too we'll be right back with more right here on moose talks when it comes to iphones most people think you can't replace a battery but micro consulting can if you need a new battery see the crew at micro consulting because battery life is important 
It's how you stay connected, take care of business, and keep in touch with the ladies. See, they just don't stop calling. Hello there. Oh, hi, Mom. Also, remember to update your contacts. For new batteries, screen replacements, parts and more, see Micro Consulting Sales and Service. Keeping you connected on 100th Street and on Facebook. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get to the next level in growth? Or have you been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Are you looking for the necessary guidance to grow or get you back up and running? Lakeview Credit Union has made a commitment to work with businesses on a one-on-one basis to provide flexible solutions to your challenges. I'm Russ Beerling, the Business Development Officer with Lakeview Credit Union. Give me a call and let's see what we can do for you. 778-256-2337. We've been proudly serving the Peace Region for over 75 years and as always, we're here to help. If you're looking for hassle-free Internet services, call the Peace Region Internet Society today. With coverage throughout most of the Peace, PRIS can get you connected quickly without the hassle of contracts or bundles. Visit PRIS.ca or call 1-800-768-3311 for more information. This Sports Booster is brought to you by First Choice Towing. For all your towing needs, lockouts, boosters, tows, they do it all 24-7. Call 250-785-2271. You can count on First Choice Towing for all your towing needs. Our community first. This is Moose Talks with Dub Craig on Moose FM. Our thanks to our guests, my, uh, Scott Ellis and Lori Ackerman, for chatting with us today. If you want some more information about what the city is going to be doing differently for Canada Week celebrations, just head on over to their website, www.fortstjohn.ca. The map of the reverse parade route is not up as of yet. But it will be up uh, shortly, I assume. If you missed this episode, you'll be able to watch it again shortly on the Moose FM and EnergeticCity.ca Facebook pages. Moose Talks is produced by Adam Rayburn. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Join us next Friday at 10 a.m. for another episode of Moose Talks, a weekly talk show about Fort St. John and the North Peace. This is Moose Country. This is Moose Country. 100.1 Moose FM.
for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.